We lazed in a cypress grove at the edge of the swamp, right where the woods got eerie. Frogs billowed down in the dark wet where the swamp ape lurked. When darkness came on along with the glitter of bugs and stars, I taught Alex frog language. The twitter of wood frogs, the bark of tree frogs, the donk donk of green frogs. This week on Selected Shorts, City Boy, Country Girl. I'm Tayari Jones, and you're listening to Selected Shorts, the program that brings you great short fiction read live on stage at Symphony Space in New York City. Adolescence is a strange time. As we grow up, we yearn for the possibilities and privilege offered by adulthood. But the trade-off is that we must surrender some of the freedom and passion that makes childhood a magical time. On this program, we'll hear two stories of young people who are about to leave childhood behind. And in each, something is gained, but something is also lost or changed. The first kiss comes from author Clarice Lispector. Long revered in Brazil, Lispector saw her fan base expand after new English translations of her work began appearing in America in 2011. This sensuous rite of passage story features Lispector's fantastical worldview, her daring syntax, and her intimate understanding of character. This is Pepe Nufrio performing Clarice Lispector's The First Kiss. The two murmured more than talked. They had just started dating and were giddy. It was love. Love at what comes with it, jealousy. Okay, I'll believe I'm your first girlfriend. I'm happy about that, but tell me the truth, the whole truth. Have you ever kissed a woman before me? He answered simply, yes, I've kissed a woman before. Who was she, she asked, hurt. He tried to tell her haltingly, didn't know how to explain. The field trip bus was slowly climbing into the mountains. He, one of the boys among a boisterous bunch of girls, let the cool breeze hit his face and run its long, thin fingers through his hair with a mother's light touch. To sit still once in a while, almost without thinking, and just feel was so good. Staying focused on feeling was hard with all the commotion from his buddies. And in any case, thirst had hit. Joking with his classmates, talking really loud, louder than the noise from the motor, laughing, shouting, thinking, feeling. Oh man, did it leave his throat dry, and not the slightest hint of water. The thing to do was pull your saliva, and that's what he did. After gathering it in his burning mouth, he swallowed it slowly over and over. It was warm though, his saliva, and failed to quench his thirst. An enormous thirst, bigger than he was, and now seized his whole body. The delicate breeze, so pleasant before, had now in the midday sun become hot and arid, and going in through his nose further dried what little saliva he was patiently gathering. And what if he shut his nostrils and breathed a bit less of that desert wind? He tried for a few seconds, but immediately started suffocating. You just had to wait. Wait. Maybe just a few minutes, maybe hours. Whereas his thirst had been going on for years. He didn't know how and why, but he was now feeling closer to water. 
He had a premonition that it was getting close, and his eyes leaped through the window, searching the highway, penetrating the underbrush, scanning, sniffing. The animal instinct inside him hadn't been wrong. Around the unexpected curve in the highway, amid the underbrush, was the fountain from which sprang a rivulet of the dreamed-of water. The bus stopped. Everyone was thirsty, but he managed to reach the stone fountain first before everyone else. Eyes closed, he parted his lips and put them fiercely to the orifice from which the water was streaming. The first cool sip of water went down, sliding through his chest down to his belly. It was life coming back, and it completely soaked his sandy insides until they were quenched. Now he could open his eyes. He opened them and saw right near his face the two eyes of a statue staring at him and saw it was a statue of a woman and that the water was flowing from the woman's mouth. He recalled that at the first sip, his lips had actually felt an ice cold touch colder than the water. And he realized then that he had put his mouth on the mouth of the stone statue of the woman. Life had streamed from that mouth, from one mouth to another. Intuitively confused in his innocence, he felt intrigued. But the life-giving liquid, the liquid seed of life, doesn't come from a woman. He gazed at the naked statue. He had kissed her. He was racked by a shudder not visible on the outside, and that originated from a deep within and seized his whole body, bursting onto his face in flames. He took a step back or forward. He no longer knew what he was doing, disconcerned, stunned. He noticed that one part of his body, always relaxed before, was now aggressively tense, and this had never happened to him before. <laughs> he stood, sweetly aggressive, alone among the others, his heart beating deeply at intervals, feeling the world transform. Life was brand new, something else discovered with a shock, bewildered in a fragile balance. Until, coming from the depth of his being, streaming from a hidden source inside him came the truth which filled him immediately with alarm, and also immediately with a pride he had never felt before. He, he had become a man. <laughs> Pepe Nufrio read The First Kiss by Clarice Lispector. I'm Tayari Jones. When we return, a Magical Summer in the Swamp. You're listening to Selected Shorts, recorded live in performance at Symphony Space in New York City and at other venues nationwide. Welcome back to Selected Shorts. I'm Tayari Jones. For more information about the stories you're hearing, the readers who are reading them, or about the Selected Shorts writing contest, you can go to selectedshorts.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please write us and tell us what you think of today's program. To be sure you never miss a story, subscribe to the Selected Shorts podcast. When you do, you'll get episodes of our spinoff podcast, Selected Shorts, Too Hot for Radio. 
All you need to do is to search for both shows on iTunes and hit subscribe. During this show, we're considering stories about adolescence and the things we pick up and leave as we mature. These stories offer the youthful perspective of the characters seasoned with the long view of the author, rendering the narrative reminiscent but not nostalgic. This story, Hellion, was written by Julia Elliott and included in the Best American Short Stories of 2019. Here's the novelist, Anthony Doerr, who edited the volume, talking about what drew him to Hellion. This next story comes from Julia Elliott. Hers is a coming-of-age story that toys with the coming-of-age formula in fascinating ways. It really just crackles with energy and exuberance. And it's the only story we found in all those thousands of stories that features a backyard pet alligator named Dragon. That was Anthony Doerr introducing Julia Elliott's story, Hellion, from the stage at Symphony Space. Now, here's Donna Lynn Chaplin to read this story. Parents of younger kids should note that there is a brief moment of boy-girl nudity in a comic and romantic context. Put that gator right back where you found him or I'll pepper your asses with 177s. I aim my daisy right at Butch, the more chicken shit of the pair. Mitch held Dragon by the jaws while Butch tried to steady his lashing tail, feeding him atomic fireballs, I see, which might could kill him. Why do you want to mess with an innocent beast? Come on, butter, we just want to see him fart fire, said Mitch. (laughs) Idiots, put him back. They couldn't grab their rifles with Dragon thrashing and ready to bite, so they eased him down into his number two tub, which was getting snug now that he'd grown. Clamp that chicken wire over the top. Mitch kept Dragon's jaws shut while his little brother Butch crouched with the cover, slammed it down as soon as Mitch let go. Then Dragon went ape shit, snapping at the wire, so mad I knew I wouldn't be able to hold him for a week. Was a dumb thing to do, but we did it, said Butch. Lighting a cig butt to play it cool. He leaned on his beaming like John Wayne. I lowered my gun. Do it again, and I'll sick the swamp ape on you. Promise you won't mess with Dragon again. Promise, they said. Let's spit on it. We spit into our palms and did some funky hand jives. You heard about the certified pansy at Miss Edna's house, asked Butch. Who? Your third cousin from Aiken, according to our mama. They got a mall there and a nuke reactor. Something tells me he's going to be aching real soon. Mitch laughed so hard he upped a lump of snot. He spit the loogie in the dirt and slid astride their Yamaha Midget X7. Butch hopped on back, holding the sport fender as they sped off. Miss Edna, my great aunt, postmistress of Davis Station and widowed a decade, didn't take crap. She allowed me the use of her library, told me I could be a career girl if I applied myself, tried to get me in a dress and said my toe head was too pretty for a pixie cut, especially since I was almost 13. Hands and face fresh washed, I stood on her porch waiting for her to answer my knock. Saw a skink skitter over the steps and longed for my daisy. An easy dollar down the drain. Suffering some phobia that went back to her childhood before the Civil War, 
Miss Edna paid me one buck for every lizard I shot. Well, hello there, butter. Miss Edna stood behind her screen door, the boy lurking in her shadow. A pale, freckled scrap of male humanity who looked like he'd strained to lift an ice cream spoon. <laughs> Come in and meet Alex. He's just a month older than you. Alex nodded, led me back to the den where he had his Atari hooked up to Miss Edna's console Panasonic, sat right down to play Cubert. Kept his eyes on that creepy head with feet jumping it around on a pyramid of cubes and exercising mindless stupidity. Come all this way to play Cubert? I asked him. Nothing much to do, he said. You stuck your head out the door since you came? Why bother? Why don't you let me show you a thing or two? When Alex pulled away from the screen, I noticed he was long in the neck with eyes the color of my mama's olive agate beads. A cowlick ruined his strawberry blonde new wave bangs, preventing them from cascading over his right eye, but his lips pouted like Simon Le Bon's. <laughs> what you got to show, he looked me over. Uh, a whole nother universe. Teach you how to drive a go-kart, how to shoot an air rifle, plus several techniques for handling a live gator. How to creep up on the swamp ape without making him bellow. Show you flesh-eating plants, the plat-eyed demon floating over black water, and forest fairies mooching from hummingbird feeders. The bragging spewed out like I was hexed. I would have kept going if Miss Edna hadn't called me back to the kitchen. Butter, she said. Promise me you'll watch out for Alex, the boys around here being mostly hellions. Well, I'm a hellion too, Miss Edna. No, but not like the rest. You're my great niece after all. She drew me close so she could whisper, suffocating me with her white shoulders perfume. Alex's mama just had a premature baby boy. Know what that means? Came out before he was cooked? That's right. A poor three-pound thing struggling to breathe in an oxygen tank. Alex being tender-hearted is taking it hard. Keep that in mind and be gentle with him. You can be a lady when you want to. Ugh. <laughs> Ladies sat still and tormented themselves with stiff dresses and torture chamber shoes. Ladies held their tongues when men walked among them and fixed them food and drinks. As my mama, who worked the night shift at Clarendon Memorial, said, I don't have time to be a lady. <laughs> well, I'll never be a lady, I said, but I won't let the boys mess with Alex. The next day was one of those blazing summer mornings. Sky blue as a pilot light and birds going full throttle, opening their beaks and warbling glory be. I had Alex riding shotgun in my Hellcat KT100. A decent yard cart upgraded by my daddy with 13-inch tires and a Titan engine. Wind in my hair, Dr. Pepper between my thighs, one hand on the wheel while the other handled a fresh-lit cig butt. Had a mind to race the Hellcat that day with Alex there to witness my triumph, and we were headed over to the cliffs. 
The boys were already there, brown and shirtless, popping wheelies and jumping gullies, flying around an eroded moonscape where a feller buncher had plucked pines out of the earth like they were dandelions. Second we arrived, Butch and Mitch did donuts around us, spitting loogies and slurs, calling Alex poontang, gerbil balls, city flower, and fag meat. Your mama's got sweet tits, screamed Butch, who was all a ten. Ask me how I know. I eased into a clump of upstart pines and cut the motor. Sat in the shade for a spell, sipping my Dr. Pepper. Look, I told Alex, first thing you got to do is learn to ignore their insults. Save your wrath for what matters. Remember, that nuclear radiation has endowed you with a Hulk-like condition where you might any minute pop out into a raging muscular mutant. <laughs> what? <laughs> Alex smirked. Well, that's what I told them since you live near that nuke plant. Also said you could mind read, tell futures, and levitate. <laughs> Why would you say that? Uh, for one, pardon me, you're weird. And two, they would already snatch you off the cart and whooped you if I hadn't. So we gotta keep up the mystery. Now, if Mitch or Butch mess with you, mention that their mom's got webbed toes. They don't know I know, so that'll spook him. <laughs> Tell Kenny Walker, a big fool who flunked three grades, that he will realize his dream and become a professional wrestler. As for Dinky Watts, the little redheaded spaz whose freckles run together, tell him redheads are mind readers by nature and you'll teach him this art like Merlin did King Arthur. I mean, don't even talk to Cag Stooks, the one in the Gamecock jersey, because he speaks the language of fists. Alex went bluish pale, like skim milk. I, I should go back to Meemaw's house. Well, they'll track you there. They'll climb through your window at night and dump fire ants in your bed. Tough this one out and you're home free. I mean, think about it like a video game. Get to the next level. <laughs> I drove straight into a cloud of dust that hovered like a nuke mushroom, came out the other side, jumped two gullies, hugged the outer wall of a U-turn, and fishtailed right up to the action. Though it almost killed him, Alex loosened his grip on the side rail, keeping up a half-assed appearance of cool. The boys went crazy strutting their stuff. Cag circling with a two-wheeled donut on his Rambler X-10. Butch standing on the seat of their midget while Mitch popped a wheelie. Dinky hopping the hind wheel of his Hornet while Kenny zipped around on his Scorpion 5. I realized how stoked they were to blow this city boy away. They finished their daredevilry, circled us twice, and then stood idling, staring at Alex, half hoping my tails were real that the boy would float up out of his seat. <laughs> Instead, Alex staggered from the cart, fell to his knees and wallowed on the ground like a bass, gasping for water. Shit, I said, looks like he's about to turn. Clutching his head, Alex stood up. I cannot allow it to happen again, he said. Too many innocents slaughtered. <laughs> Alex twitched as though shaking a winged demon from his back. 
He tottered and stared up at the sky, croaked out gibberish, pausing between bouts as though taking dictation from a god. <laughs> Y'all mother has mermaid blood, he pointed at Mitch and Butch. Hence her webbed toes, she swims in Lake Marion on full moon nights. The brothers' jaws dropped. And I pictured them creeping around their den at night. Their mama crashed on the couch, her feet freed from the Reebok she wore to waitress, toes moist and pale in the spooky TV light. And you, he turned to Kenny, blessed with giant's blood, your name will join the ranks of Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Last but not least, Alex pointed solemnly at Dinky. Red-headed elf of rare blood, small of stature but vast of mind, I will teach you the telepathic arts. With his word magic, Alex struck the boy beasts dumb. They stood dreamy-eyed in the morning air, all except Cag, who fidgeted, waiting to hear his fortune. But Alex paid him no mind, sank into my hellcat as though exhausted from divining, and we sped off cackling at our stunt. <laughs> After lunch, I fetched Alex from Miss Edna's porch, blood thrilling when I saw him smile. The boy was bored with his video games, revved up for real adventure, and I spirited him off into the afternoon. We zipped through three backyards to mine, scooted round the shed, and rolled up to Dragon's Den. When I cut my motor, cicadas blared like summer's engine. We scrambled from the cart, hunkered down by Dragon's Hole, dug deep in my daddy back in April when I'd found the baby gator moping motherless in the swamp. I'd bet him peepers and silver minnows brought green life back into his yellowing scales. Now Dragon pressed against the chicken wire, flaring his nostrils and smacking his chops. He could smell the meat I'd brought. His food bucket bungeed to my Hellcat's rear frame. Easy there, Dragon. I could, fetching his dinner. I swung the bucket over his head to let him catch the scent. Hungry, buddy? The reptile snapped at the wire, his tub spattered with liquid shit. I prayed those atomic fireballs hadn't torn him up too bad. He won't bite you or try to run? Alex backed away from the cage. Well, I got him trained, I said, unclamping the chicken wire, relieved to see Dragon creep halfway out the water onto his rock. He used to perch like an annally there, little and jaunty. Now, hemmed in by tub walls, he slithered, covering the mass of the rock, his tail whisking the tainted water. He stared up at me, gold-eyed, jaws cracked, waiting for the first giblet to dangle in his range. Alex squawked when the gator jumped to snap the meat from its loose-tied noose. But by the third chicken gizzard, the fear had left him. When I lowered a bluegill, Alex inched up behind me, 
So close, I could feel his body heat. Maybe that's what flustered me. Maybe that's what caused me to lean in too close and get snagged by a tooth. A jagged red rip right through the meat of my lower thumb. I didn't scream, but Alex did. I had to shush him. Tiptoed secured the chicken wire while Dragon chewed in a trance, savoring the taste of fish splashed with his adoptive mother's blood. <laughs> Hot tears burned my eyes, but I did not let them spill. I grabbed my first aid box from the cart and doused the wound with peroxide. Watched pink froth sizzle in the cut. Wiped it clean with fresh gauze and covered the ugliness with a Revco jumbo strip. Sure you don't need stitches? Alex asked that evening. <laughs> Just a scratch. Put some antibiotic ointment on it at home. My mama works at the hospital, so we got medicine galore. We lazed in a cypress grove at the edge of the swamp, right where the woods got eerie. Frogs billowed down in the dark wet where the swamp ape lurked. When darkness came on, along with the glitter of bugs and stars, I taught Alex frog language, the twitter of wood frogs, the bark of tree frogs, the donk donk of green frogs. Frogs bleated like sheep and rattled like woodpeckers, droned like power saws and bellowed like bulls. Peeper season was over and I tried to imitate their high warble like something from beyond the moon. We stared up at the sky, didn't look at each other, and shared secrets about our lives. I told Alex my mama was a vampire, according to my daddy. <laughs> a pale woman who drew blood on the hospital night shift. She slept through most of the day. I told him about my father's slip disc, his stunted soybeans and blighted corn, how he'd try to stay busy after both cash crops failed, but... His back was busted and summer had broken him, driving him to drink when dusk came in. My parents' clocks are out of sync, I said, and their moods never mesh. My mama sleeps in a mask in a darkened room, sun flicking around the edges of blackout blinds while my daddy lurks through the house like a man held captive by silence. Alex spoke of his own dad, an engineer who worked the nuke plant, a giant fortress gated off from the world. Alex imagined it glowing on a hill, surrounded by forest, contaminated animals, creeping radiant in the night. He feared his father brought radiation home in his clothes and that it mixed in the washing machine and poisoned them all. Maybe that was why his mom had birthed a preemie, a three-pound frog-eyed baby that struggled to breathe in its incubator. His eyes are dark silver like a shark's, said Alex, and you can almost see right through his skin. If they keep him in oxygen too long, he'll get brain damage, but if they stop the flow, he might die of asphyxiation. Oh, that's terrible, I said. We fell silent and listened to the frogs, cricketure shimming over the lower calls. An owl hooted, a chuck wills willow called its own name. Through this delicate symphony came the bellow of the swamp ape, 
mournful and longing as though epochs of human misery had mixed together into this one voice, ringing from the deepest dark. I knew where the creature's hovel was, a shack so mossy it looked like a bear's den, part and parcel of the wood. I'd seen pieces of the creature in the circle of my flashlight. A crazed red eye, a roaring maw, a hairy arm reaching out to snatch the Slim Jims I fed him. What the hell is that? Asked Alex. Swamp ape, I said. Monster of the forest who only comes out at night. Some people say he's a throwback to ape times, a variety of Bigfoot that's half aquatic. Others think he escaped from Clemson University, a lab-made creature, half human, half ape. <laughs> Another faction believes he's a regular man, gone feral from drink and craziness, second cousin and once lover of Sadie Morrison, an ancient lunatic who lives in a mansion that's half sunk into black water. But you've seen this swamp ape thing? Asked Alex. and I can take you to him. I pulled a bundle of Slim Jims from my rucksack. He won't hurt you if you bring him a tree. We set off down a foot trail, flashlight flickering over cypress knees that looked like druids kneeled in prayer. Vines thickened. Trees were smothered with Spanish moss. Mosquitoes swarmed around our force field of deep woods off. I felt something damp and knuckly brush against my wrist. It was Alex's hand, reaching for mine, half scared, half longing. We twined our fingers together and walked deeper in. I felt a sweet twist of nausea in my gut and the ground went mushy under my feet. This is it, I whispered. The swamp ape lives just beyond the border between wet and dry ground. We let go of each other. I flickered my light through the trees and spotted the collapse in hovel. Out came Abella, so long and low, so misery-packed and wistful that I'd long to join in to howl my torments in the muggy dark. Mr. Swamp Ape, I said, got a treat for you. I placed the Slim Jims on a stump. And then we backed away, stepped onto solid land. I could hear the man-beast creeping out, the squelch of feet in mud, grunts and thick breathing. I flashed my light in time to see a red frizzed hand take the Slim Jims, caught a glimpse of a shaggy pot belly, a bulging baggy eye, and then the creature was gone retreated into his den, tearing into shrink-wrapped meat. <laughs> Did you see him? I whispered. Yes, Alex rasped, his voice ghostly, light as a dandelion seed in the wind. The next morning, Alex looked freaked with bluish streaks under his eyes. What's the matter with you? Kept dreaming that the swamp ape crept outside my window. 
You think it's a real monster or just a crazy person? A person can be a real monster too. Alex chewed on that for a minute and then slipped into my go-kart. Off we drove to Eb Richburg's farm shed. Eb was laid up at Clarendon Memorial getting his sinuses drained. Since he'd let me drive his tractor before, I figured he wouldn't mind if I took a city boy for a trip to Ruby's Whatnots. I took the back way so Miss Vidal wouldn't spot us and park behind their propane tank. Mr. Eb's shed smelled of diesel and pesticides. His 4040S pride and glory was parked between a riding mower and a no-till corn planter. I smirked when I saw he'd left in the key. <laughs> I climbed up, waited for Alex. Swear you got permission for this? Sorta, I said. I don't know. He made a fish face, but climbed up anyway, wedging himself into the big bucket seat beside me. Trust me. I slipped my brown hand onto his pale knee. I sat for a spell, relishing the warmth that flowed between us. I pulled a camel butt from the pocket of my cutoffs, lit it with a bick, took three tokes, and tossed it onto gasoline-spotted concrete where a small puddle flared into flame. I laughed as I watched the fire wane. Alex winced but didn't groan. When I cranked the 4040S, it shuddered to life like a T-Rex. We lurched towards the sunny doorway and rolled into a bare dirt lot. After shifting a second, we chugged onto Moses Dingle Road. Ooh, I felt good to shift a third. Drive with my left hand while lighting another sig butt with my right. Nicotine buzz coming on just as I upped it to fourth. And then we were cruising, passing the post office, Uncle Henry's store with a stack of watermelons and hog heaven BBQ. We passed houses and mobile homes, crumbling barns and prefab sheds. The sky was cloud-crammed, lights streaming through holes in the mass. Oh, I love to drive, I said, calms me down. Gotta admit, said Alex, that this experience is having the opposite effect on me. <laughs> we passed a neighborhood of sun-bleached shacks and trailers what Butch and Mitch cruelly called Brown Town, and I eased into the lot of Ruby's whatnots. We parked the tractor and went into the cinder block building. Miss Ruby was a tall, striking woman who'd been to college and had traced her lineage back to Nigeria. She taught history at Manon High School. Miss Ruby's parents ran the shop during the school year, but she worked it in the summer. The only hippie in Davis Station. She sold carved wood sculptures, a variety of cosmetics and hair products, incense, handmade macrame bags, her daddy's garden produce, and homegrown herbal remedies she mixed herself, along with fish and tackle, fresh worms, ice chips, snack cakes, candy sodas, and beer. Hey there, Butter, said Miss Ruby. I see you got a pal today. His name's Alex, city boy from Aiken. Aiken, she widened her eyes in mock awe. Well, it's not that big, Alex shrugged. Well, glad to meet you, city boy. You here for the usual, Butter? Yes, ma'am, except double on both. I pulled out my lizard hunting money and paid for two Kit Kats and two Dr. Peppers, both a better price than my great uncle Henry charged down the road. Just a few pennies made all the difference if you knew how to scrimp and save. 
Once I got my Daisy and my Hellcat, I always asked for money on birthdays and at Christmas. Add in lizard money, chore money, tooth fairy, and Easter bunny, and I had a decent savings account at First Palmetto. <laughs> Top secret estate plan A, I called it. Though I didn't dare let on that I plotted to bolt this backwater when the right time came. Maybe I'd move to Aiken go to the USC branch they had up there, even though Alex scoffed at the school and said he was aiming for Duke. <laughs> we drove home in silence, watching storm clouds scud along the horizon. Alex almost sobbed with relief when I pulled that tractor into its shed. <laughs> and then we scrambled out into the thunder-charged air. When the storm broke, we ducked under the porch of Mr. Rufus Brock's rundown tool shed. We sat on the stoop eating our Kit Kats while staring out at the rain. And then I caught a whiff of molten tar. Oh, the smell of flat roof exploration, new roads winding off into the green distance, amusement park black top gone soft in July sun. I jumped up. Smell that? Stinks, said Alex. <laughs> oh, I love the smell of pitch. We went into the shed where a half barrel of molten tar stood cooling and I dipped a finger in. Still warm. I scooped up a glob and lobbed it at Alex, plopping his left cheek. At first, he stood stunned. But then, he flashed a grin, grabbed a fistful of black mash, and pressed it against my throat. I felt his heart thudding as I smeared thick grime over his bony chest. And then we went at it, shoveling filth with our hands and smirching each other's bodies. We tussled on the concrete floor of the shed, wrestled and kicked our way out into the drizzle. Like puppies, we rolled and nipped in the wet grass. We both spotted her at the exact same time. <laughs> Miss Edna. Her wash and set hairdo ruined by the rain, her bulldog face scrunched with wrath. <laughs> Got a phone call from Mr. Rufus, she hissed. Said y'all gotten into his tar. This bout takes the cake. She snatched our skinny arms, marched us to her carport, and ordered us to strip down to our underwear. We waited with bowed heads, avoiding each other's eyes, as Miss Edna fetched her gas can, a bucket of rags, and a scouring brush. As the drizzle waned and sunlight gushed, Miss Edna rubbed us down with gasoline, pulled a thousand hairs from their follicles as she brushed bits of clotted tar from our skin. I felt dizzy from gas fumes flayed raw, streaked with chemical burns. Hellions, she hissed then kept on scrubbing long after she needed to. 
Then she hosed us down, sudded us up with octagon soap, and rinsed us off again. At last, she left us, goosebumped and hunched in shame, our underwear transparent. We each faked interest in opposite corners of the carport. Alex absorbed with a dead geranium, me lost in a spider's web. Your meemaw's a bitch, I finally said, straining to break the silence. When I turned to meet his gaze, hands cupped over my no-count titties, Alex stared at my wet underwear, and I wondered if he could see the puckered slit between my legs. I made out the shape of his thing. Curl like a beetle grub in its sodden briefs. <laughs> when Miss Edna returned with a pile of towels, we turned away from each other again. I called your mama, she told me, said for you to get home this minute. Though I pretended to run home, I slipped behind her azaleas to spy. Pick your switch she said to Alex. What do you mean by that, Meemaw? Miss Edna pointed at a hickory sapling, instructing him to tear off a flex young branch, stood behind him as he chose his torture rod and then ordered him to strip it of leaves. As Alex leaned face down against the brick wall, his granny lashed at his poor skinny legs, stinging those tender zones on the backs of his knees and thighs. Oh, I closed my eyes. I couldn't bear to watch Alex green to switch and scream and flinch and jump. Running home, I looked back once, saw the poor boy hugging his knees, sniveling at his grandmother, swept the carport in fury. Get home, hellion! Miss Edna hollered after me, lifting a broom in the air. I slipped into the house, which was cold and dark as a tomb, and got dressed. I hoped my mama had gone back to bed, but there she waited on the couch, vampire pale and smelling a hospital disinfectant. My daddy sat in his lazy boy in the non-recline setting, so I knew I was in for some shit. Butterbean, Daddy moaned my baby name, the name they'd called me when I was born six pounds with jaundice. I pictured myself the size of a llama, curled in the warm, wet, dark of my mama, dreaming myself in a being. Why'd you want to get into that tar? Daddy said, his eyes red from drinking and it not hardly noon. And put your cousin up to mischief too, him on the honor roll and all. Well, it was a dumb thing to do, but we did it, I said, so go ahead and whoop me. Reckon I'll have to, Daddy said sadly. I knew he couldn't bear to beat me. She's too old to whip, said Mama. How about you take her go-kart or her gun? But Mama, I said, well, I can't survive without a ride and a weapon, not with these hellion boys. Stay inside, then. Read one of those books Miss Edna lent you. I pictured myself shut up in the air conditioning, sealed off from summer in this twilight house of whispers and swallowed words. 
go ahead and take my daisy, I said. Mama's eyes went wide. What's that on your hand, she said. I looked down and saw that my Band-Aid hadn't survived Miss Edna's scouring and that my wound was puckered purple, but at least the Neosporin had kept off the pus. Tore it on a capri thorn, I said, but I cleaned it and put on antibiotic. It's not oozing nothing. Elizabeth Ann, Mama shot across the room, picked up my hand, turned it in the lamplight. It's not infected, but it could have been. You ought to got stitches and an oral antibiotic. Tell me right now how you got this thing. Dragon nipped me. I couldn't think of a reasonable fib. If I said a dog bite, they might have made me get rabies shots. But it was an accident. I had my hand too close to his dinner. Mama gnawed on her lip, doing math in her head. She'd forgot all about Dragon, and now she imagined how much he'd grown. God damn it, she hissed. I bowed my head, waiting for the tornado of her fury to bluster over me. I slave all day at the hospital, and you drown your worthlessness in drink, she screamed at Daddy. The least you could do is keep an eye on things around here. How the hell you let that gator get so big? What do you know, squalled Daddy. You're never here. When you are, you're like a vampire sleeping with us on pins and needles. And then they went at it. Screeching accusations, excuses, and insults, dragging up ancient shit from the deep latrine of their marriage. Circling the room like professional wrestlers who'd never take the leap to strangle each other. I sat on the couch and let their words lapse into noise until Daddy went stone cold silent. He stomped to his gun case, unlocked it, and grabbed his twenty-two. I thought for sure he'd shoot Mama, that I'd be haunted for life by the sight of her spattered brains, but then, crooked back and grabbing at the waistline of his pitiful two big shorts, Daddy stomped out the back door. Don't you worry, Miss Dracula, he said. I'll take care of it. I followed him out into the afternoon glare where hellions filled the air with thunder, go-karts and dirt bikes kicking up dust. When they saw Daddy mad-eyed with this gun, they idled after him. Trying to catch up, I sprinted under the high summer sun, my nose running with the snot of grief. Don't do it, I cried, but nobody heard me. A half dozen engines revved. Daddy stooped over Dragon's cage, unclamped the chicken wire and flung the cover away. The hellions cut their motors and inched up for a better look. As cicadas chanted in the mystic heat, Dragon crawled out onto the grass and stretched to his full length. Nearly three feet long, his spiked back slicked with water. The prehistoric creature opened his mouth in a fanged grin. Please, Daddy, I said, just let him run off. He'll smell swamp and head right for it. He might come back for food and bite somebody. Never should let you keep him in the first place. Still, Daddy seemed to consider my wish. Sat there thinking and cradling his gun. Shoot him, yelled Dinky Watts. He looks big enough to eat a baby. 
Daddy shook his head as though rousing from a dream, took aim and fired, catching Dragon in the flank. The gator let out a gurgling hiss and rolled onto his side. The boys cheered. Daddy fired again at closer range, kicked the poor beast onto his back and blasted another bullet into his pale belly. Daddy picked up the limp reptile by the tail, swung his gory trophy in the air, and staggered around the shed toward Mama. You happy now, he shrieked. Mama stood on the back stoop, fists clenched, her skin so white she glowed. Idiots all! A hissed and ran off into the woods. It was almost dusk, light tipping toward pink. I was in the swamp, bawling my miseries to the throb of frogs. My baby gator, dead. Alex switched on my account. My house a tomb of silent wrath. Vampire and ogre cramming at roof to cellar with what Miss Ruby called bad vibes. I was a hellion for sure who deserved to slip back into the swamp from which the first land creatures crawled. Those fish with legs skink like primitive pining things. I had $436 in my savings account. Weren't enough lizards in Davis Station to shoot for college tuition. Plus, Miss Edna banished me from her porch. Hellions like me never got scholarships, so why bother striving in school? I was lost, doomed to attend Central Carolina Tech, master some bleak medical procedure, turn into a vampire like my mama. I'd prick human bodies a hundred times a day at Clarendon Memorial, fill those little feed bags with sugar water or worse, wash diseased feet, rub salve on bed sores, drain abscesses as big as tennis balls. I saw myself pale and moving in a dream through a hive of the sick and dying, a one-week vacation, the only thing to look forward to. Alex had said he wanted to build rockets, and I pictured him zipping off into the twinkling black of space, leaving the likes of me to rot on our ruined planet. When I finally stopped crying, the bellowing went on as though the spirit of my grief had haunted the forest. But it was the swamp ape roaring along with me. Now he too stilled his song. We twined our grief together, which had drained the poison from me. I was grateful to the man beast for that. Exhausted, I leaned against a cypress. I noticed a circle of light spotting the trees. <gasps> the plant eye, I thought, sniffing my weakness, come out of his demonic dimension to hound me until I lost my marbles. But it was only a flashlight my daddy probably come to fetch me. Butter? said a voice high and boyish, not yet croaky from change. 
Alex sat down beside me. Where you been? Mm. Meemaw kept me locked in all day, but as soon as she dozed off, I put a fake person in my bed, towels and blankets, and slipped out the window to find you. You not mad at me about the switching? Not your fault. Got a will of my own, so do you. Oh. Well, I guess we all do, I said, thinking it over. Though some people got more room to move than others. Sorry about Dragon, he whispered, slipping his hand into mine. Butch told me all about it. Daddy might have been right, I said. That gator would have probably come back for food and bit somebody. We sat there, sweaty hands fastened in a funny position. Little Matthew's coming home next week, said Alex. They'd cut the oxygen in his brother's tank. Though the baby had struggled, he'd gotten the hang of breathing. I, I tried to think of something to say. I, I was happy for Alex, but also sad. Summer would suck when he was gone. The dog days coming on, me left with nobody to play with but hellion boys. Well, good, I said. When do they come get you? A week. We could be pen pals, though. Oh, I pictured myself trying to write a decent letter, struggling to impress. I pictured Alex sniggering every time I misspelled something or got carried away with Miss Edna's thesaurus. And what would I have to tell him? About my vampire mama, my drunken daddy, about go-kart races and BB gun fights, about the King Arthur novels Miss Edna lent me, or the Swamp Ape's preference for Slim Jims over beef jerky? Maybe, I said. I've never been one to write letters. We sat in silence for a spell, listening to night music, insect, amphibian, and bird. The swamp ape started up again, gentle and wistful, more soft-grunted song than howl. When Alex flicked on his flashlight to catch him in action, the creature lurched off into deeper swamp. What the hell, said Alex? Now big-eyed creatures glided into a circle of light. Two, three, four, the limbs splayed, furry membranes stretched wide. Fairies, I whispered. Though I knew they were only flying squirrels. <laughs> Come to feed on pawpaw fruit. They landed on a branch and shimmied down to the heavy clusters. Fairies, Alex repeated, as though to hypnotize himself into believing. And I strained to believe, too, pictured the creatures twittering real language and working magic spells. I could see the future of summer. Ravaged cornfields and soybean chaff, cicadas buzzing like broken toys and parched grass, muscadines past ripeness fermenting on the ground and woods smelling like wine. School would be here in a blink and then I'd be in prison for a solid nine months. But now, Summer was at its height, offering its sweetest fruits, full of furry fairies and glowing bugs. 
Alex leaned against me, humming with warm blood, his brain like a different universe. That was Donna Lynn Chaplin reading Hellion by Julia Elliott. No matter how old you get, may you carry the spirit of your swamp ape with you. I'm Tayari Jones. Thanks for joining me at Selected Shorts. Selected Shorts is produced by Jennifer Brennan. Our radio producer is Sarah Montague. Matthew Love is our literary consultant. The readings are recorded by Miles B. Smith. Our mix engineer is Deborah Daughtry. Our theme music is David Peterson's That's the Deal, performed by the Deerdorf Peterson Group. Selected Shorts is supported by the Dungannon Foundation, sponsor of the Ray Award for the short story, and support is also provided by the Schubert Foundation, the Seedlings Foundation, the Fan Fox and Leslie R. Samuels Foundation, the Henry Nias Foundation, the Sherman Foundation, the Axe Houghton Foundation, and the Joseph and Joan Coleman Foundation for the Arts. Selected Shorts is also made possible by the National Endowment for the Arts and with public funds from the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of the New York State Legislature. Additional support for this program comes from this station. Selected Shorts is produced and distributed by Symphony Space. <laughs>